Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here after Kansas came away with a huge upset win in the Big 12 over Texas Tech 37 to 34. And what an absolutely crazy game that was. Uh, for more ways than one, more than just the, the way the game ended, but just the whole flow of the game itself and everything about it was just a, a weird, weird game. Um, but starting off, let's just talk about the end of the game and the, the sequence that, that turned things for Kansas. Um, you know, KU takes over with only a few minutes left in the game, but the game tied at 34. And KU goes and marches the field and gets itself in pretty good field goal position for Liam Jones. Uh, the first attempt uh, to win the game, it was a 40-yard field goal attempt, but the kick was blocked by Texas Tech. They recovered. And for some reason, the Texas Tech player decided to try and lateral the ball to, I don't know who, you know, I understand the reasoning of it in that moment. There's probably about 10 seconds left on the clock, a little bit under that. You're thinking, hey, let's try and get as many yards as we can, and maybe we can flip the field and put ourselves in position to to win the games ourselves. I mean, you look at last week, what happened at Texas where Liam Jones has that extra point blocked and it's taken back for two points. That's the sort of thing that you could see Texas tech trying to do on that play there. But the long snapper for KU is able to jump on the ball, recover it. And Liam Jones gets to come out for a much shorter attempt and he's able to make it. And, you know, he turns around and runs in the opposite direction as KU wins the game 37 to 34. But before we dive into some of the individual player performances and the performance of KU as a whole, I think it's probably an apt time to have the conversation about KU's season so far. Um, KU right now stands going into the game against Kansas State next week with a record of three and five. Um, And when you look at the the trajectory of KU this season, I, I think that at this point it's safe to have the conversation of, you know, what does this team look like if Brent Deerman is the offensive coordinator starting at day one? Because what we've seen these past two weeks has been, you know, against Texas, I, I personally think it was not a fluke performance because the things that Kansas did, you know, they made plays, but Texas's defense was really banged up and they were really bad. And KU took advantage of that, and they scored 48 points, which they should have done against a a defense that's that bad. But I think the performance today offensively for KU is more encouraging than what we saw against Texas. They didn't score as many points as they did against Texas, but I think the manner in which they did it and how they exploited Texas Tech I think really speaks a lot to Brent Deerman, the offensive staff, and the players for executing what Coach Deerman wanted them to do. When you look back at this season, you know the the first win of the season is against Indiana State. They win twenty four seventeen. It takes a last minute drive from KU and a really nice pass from Carter Stanley and a nice catch from Dalen Charlotte for KU to win that game. You know that's a game that KU in theory should have scored a lot more points in twenty four. You know Indiana State is not. Um, a top five FCS team, you know, it it is a top 25 FCS team, but you know, a a power five offense like KU has shown it can be in the past two weeks should have been able to put up more points in 24 against Indiana state against coastal Carolina. 
KU only scored seven points and KU's defense gave up 12. That's a performance that you kind of look at and it's just head scratching. You know, uh, we saw KU run it all the time down the stretch in that game, just into seven, eight, nine man boxes. And KU wasn't able to take advantage of the things that, you know, Coastal Carolina was doing in that game where they're loading up the box. You know, KU didn't take many shots down the field. They continuously just started loading up their own box with fullbacks and tight ends, and that just didn't work. Then, of course, you have the performance against Boston College where KU goes to the RPO stuff, the spread formations. Um, we've covered that game you know, extensively with film rooms and uh, some of the other content that we've done. Uh, and that win probably stays there. And so if you, if you think about it in a, in a pure way, which, of course, is not how football works, of, you know, you can't retroactively go back and say, oh, well, you know, if we'd have done this, this, and this, we would have won because you could do that for every game. You know, you can find reasons that you lost. But I think when you look back at those performances, you could say that, hey, this KU offense that we've seen now, if you, you know, copy and paste who's at the top in, from the start of the season, things probably go a little bit differently. And you're looking at probably going 3-0 and into Big 12 play. And I used to think that the Coastal Carolina game and the Boston College game were kind of intertwined, that the Coastal Carolina performance forced KU to try something new against Boston College. But in the time since, listening to the, the players talk about Boston College and the defense, it sounds like Boston College's defense was very much a one-trick pony type of defense. What you saw is what you were going to get. So that performance now makes me think that that was very much not a fluke offensively for KU that they were able to take advantage of Boston college with the RPOs. But then you go against West Virginia, then in the first big 12 game of the season against a West Virginia defense that ranks in the bottom three of darn near every category in the big 12 defensively so far this season. And you score 24 points and you come within 10 yards of winning that game. So right there, you know, there's an opportunity for KU to be 4-0, you know, entering, you know, the tough stretch then that they had at TCU, home against Oklahoma, at Texas. I don't think you retroactively, if Brent Deerman is the offensive coordinator, if it is this offensive scheme that they have now, I don't think you go back and win those games. But, you know, against TCU, maybe you don't lose 51-14. Maybe it's a little bit closer. Uh, I think Oklahoma and Texas probably still go the same way. I mean, Texas, Brent Dimmer was the offensive coordinator. But this now brings a broader question of, you know, this team could be if Brent Dearman or, you know, if they ran this offense at the start of the season, this team could be pushing for bowl eligibility. But the struggles early on in the season under Les Canning, uh, really put KU behind the eight ball to where now, you know, you do get this big win over Texas Tech, but it feels almost like it's a little bit too late for KU's bull push because now you're going to go against Kansas State, one of the best defenses in the Big 12, Iowa State, one of the best defenses in the Big 12, and Baylor, one of the best defenses in the Big 12. And you still have a trip to Oklahoma State as well there. So a really tough end of the season. You know, a lot of the players talked about still believing in that bowl game and wanting to be able to get there. It just feels like at this point in the season, it's just a little too, too late for KU. Um, I think what something Andrew Parchment said post game about the KU offense is intrigued me as well. Um, I asked him straight up, you know, if KU had spotted team 17 in the big 12, you know, if they had done that earlier in the season, like they did tonight, could they have come back? I asked him very straightforward, you know, against West Virginia, could you have done that? And his answer, you know, 
was, I don't think so. Um, and I'll read you what his quote was. He said, quote, just because the way we were playing, the style of play calls, we need, we were more of a huddle team as well. I feel like that would have negated us, especially wasting time just being in the huddle. So I'm happy that Coach Miles did the change. I'm happy with the way things are going with Coach Dearman and just look forward to coming back to work on Monday, end quote. So I think you see from the KU players, and now Andrew Parchman has been very much on the vocal end of his displeasure of the KU offense at times this season. He talked about after the West Virginia game, how he wanted KU to get back to more of the up-tempo stuff that we've seen them do the past two weeks. But in terms of a total offensive performance today, I think what you saw in the second half especially should be encouraging. And the way that KU adapted to what uh, Texas Tech was doing, I think, was really encouraging as well. Early in the game, KU went to a run-heavy approach. Texas Tech basically said, hey, we're not going to let Puka Williams beat us. They were loading up the box with seven, eight people, really just focusing on Puka Williams. So then what did you see KU do late in the first half when they kind of got some of the adjustments in? They started taking deep shots, and that's when you saw Stephon Robinson um, come alive. This was just a career day for Stephon Robinson. Just what a game from him. Um, he finished with six catches for 186 yards, including two touchdowns, a long of 65 yards. Just a great performance from him, especially in the first half. It felt like he was the only wide receiver that was really able to get going. Um, but even then in the second half, you know, KU continued to attack through the air. Andrew Parchment came down with a 70-yard touchdown connection with him and Carter Stanley. So I think the way that KU adapted to what, you know, Texas Tech was doing where they're loading up the box, playing man coverage um, with not a lot of safety help over the top, KU took advantage of that. You know, Stephon Robinson is definitely one of those guys that is sneaky fast. I think you see it on kickoffs too. You know, Stephon Robinson was was really successful on kickoffs today. And I think a part of that is his speed is kind of deceptive. He's able to accelerate and change direction real quick. His top end speed may not be the same of like a Pook Williams or someone that's running, you know, the the four four forties. You know, I think Stephon Robinson doesn't really run that fast, but in terms of acceleration and shiftiness, he definitely adds that. And I think Andrew Parchment, what you saw today from him. You know, was making the the moments that he had count. He did have a a couple of drops. You know, you think back on that final drive, the final third down before the first field goal attempt. Um, but overall, like for KU's wide receivers and KU's offense, the way that they were able to go and switch to now saying, "Hey, we've been running the ball. This isn't working. Let's try something new. Let's try and take advantage of what Texas Tech is doing defensively." And I think that that was a really it takes. A, you know, a lot of credit should go to Brent Demerin for that. Um, in terms of a defensive performance, this was, it felt like the final drive for Texas, but for the entire game. Um, I say that because against Texas on that final drive, it felt like, you know, that KU just wasn't going to be able to get a stop. That it was just, you know, five yards after five yards after five yards. And that's what it felt like for these KU defense trying to stop the Texas Tech offense. Heck, I mean, Texas Tech had a couple touchdown drives that were less than 90 seconds. You know, KU just wasn't able to get those stops. But then also Texas Tech was able to string together some, you know, 10 plus play drives. So Texas Tech offensively was able to get whatever it wanted, whenever it wanted until the final couple drives of the game. So when KU needed those stops most, they were able to get it. On the final four drives, or I guess technically it would have been two drives because the fumble won't count, but the two drives, KU forced three and outs. It was the only two three and outs they forced all game. 
And those were just big, big series. Um, Losing Bryce Tornade in two early on in the game was huge for KU. That was something that I personally kind of forgot happened. You know, you kind of get into the the third quarter and it's like, wait a second, KU's playing without Bryce Tornade, one of their best, you know, players on the field, arguably probably their best secondary player, someone that is filled in different roles. I mean, even in the first uh, defensive possession today. You saw him tornado and line up in the Hawk as an outside linebacker. You saw him line up as a single high safety. He's just such a valuable piece for KU. And if you are going to do a, a silver lining, he gets to play the first half against Kansas state. And that's a big deal. If this targeting call had come in the second half of the game today, where he then has to sit out the first half against Kansas State, that's big, especially the way that Kansas State's offense looked today against Oklahoma and the way that they've been running the ball as of late. You really need Bryce Tornado, and you really need everybody to be healthy next week for that Kansas State game. But I also really thought that in terms of, you know, it's hard to find in a game like this where KU does struggle defensively for, you know, basically – more or less three quarters, if not a little bit more of that of the game. Uh, it's hard to find, you know, solo performances of guys that stood out, but it felt like just as a whole as a team for KU on that final two drives defensively, it felt like everyone just kind of buckled down together and made it happen. It wasn't one guy stepping up and saying, I got this, you know, it was a team effort and a team performance there on the defensive end. Um, I think Davon Ferguson, he's someone that stepped up. When Tornadon left, um, he finished with a team-high seven tackles. Um, he also had the forced fumble. He got credit for it, at least, the forced fumble. Um, but for, for the defense going forward, I, I am a little concerned, especially going against a Kansas State team that is really good at running the ball. Run defense for KU has been something they have not been good at this season. I think they're one of the bottom three teams in the Big 12 in terms of run defense. That's an area that KU really does need to get better at. And I'll be interested to see what things kind of DJ Elliott and Quan Drake do schematically to put KU in a good position against Kansas State's offense. Because I think next week, that could be a game that I would not be surprised if next week's game turns out to be 17-14 or if it turns out to be 42-38. I could see it going either way with Kansas State maybe trying to play the, you know, the long game where you try and, you know, dominate the clock and possession and limit the amount of possessions. And then KU maybe matches that and just tries to out execute, or you could see it just being an entire, just a shootout, almost like you saw with, you know, the Oklahoma Kansas state game today. So I think in terms of the overall performance, um, offense, you know, real promising. If you take out that first quarter defense, <laughs> real promising final two drives outside of that not a whole lot to to be happy about or pleased about and in terms of special teams you've still got those issues with the block kicks um you know you had two block kicks against texas i know another block kick again today two block kicks actually today um and they if i'm remembering it correctly i think the two block kicks against texas were on the left side of the line i think one of the blocks today was on the left side of the line again. I know the the final block um, that led to the second attempt for Liam Jones, that one looked like it was more of just guys coming around the edge rather than through the middle. So a lot of stuff KU still needs to clean up in terms of uh, kicking coverages um, and, and the way that they're blocking schematically for Liam Jones. 
Um, because you do kind of feel bad for Jones. It's not like he's been shanking kicks wide left, wide right. It's just guys are getting in the backfield and they're getting in his face and they're blocking the kicks. It's not, it's not all on Liam Jones's shoulders. Some of it is, of course, because he is the kicker and it is his job to get the kick up and get it up and over the defense. But I think that there definitely is some blame there for the offensive line and the blockers up front as well. Um, going forward, I think against Kansas State, that's going to be a really tough game. I'll be really interested to see this week kind of what the players and coaches have to say uh, about how they're going to schematically defend Kansas State's offense because I think that's going to be the biggest key. I think right now you can chalk up KU's offense next week for getting hitting that 30-point mark, I'd say. Um, but I just don't know about defense if Kansas is going to be able to, to stop Kansas State that's going to be where the game's going to be won or lost. Um, that's going to do it for today's podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And you can find all sorts of great KU football and KU basketball content on fog.net basketball season starting up. Got another scrimmage coming up this Thursday on Halloween. Uh, and then we're getting into champions classic pretty soon here. And, you know, KU basketball will be in full swing and we'll be in the real, the heat of the KU sports season with football and basketball going on. So as always, stay tuned to fog.net for all sorts of great KU basketball and football content. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at mswain97, and you can follow Scott Chasen on Twitter at Chasen Scott. And with that said, we will talk to you next week after the Kansas State game.